Warning, what you're about to listen to contains spoilers for season one and two of Insatiable. So if you haven't watched those, go binge them, come back here, and we'll help you digest it. What's up, guys? It's Debbie. So there are a lot of people that make Insatiable possible, but none more crucial than Lauren Gussis. She is our writer, showrunner, creator, producer. It comes from her brain, her heart, her stories, obviously, with a lot of fun and fiction mixed up in there. I'm going to let her explain it to you, where it comes from. She is truly our heartbeat and our North Star, and I think you guys will fall just as in love with her as we all have. So here is the magical Lauren Gussis. I'm grateful that my son is healthy. I am grateful that I have a very special person married to me today. I'm grateful that I now have a boxing coach who I love. Yes. I am grateful to be sitting here with you. I am grateful that you walked into the room and I knew that it was you immediately (laughs) when we first cast you. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your depth of experience and awareness and your ability to bring it to the table and being wise beyond your years. So season one was, I think, you no idea what it is until you watch it. There's really no way to get into it. Season two, we had a reference point. We had season one. We knew how we touch on things. We knew uh, that one moment you'll be crying and one moment you'll be, like, hysterically laughing and that everything you know can be flipped on its head in one scene. Mm -hmm. How much of it was informed by us as actors and how much was predetermined? I think the characters evolved season one when we got to watch you guys do the thing. But I think much of the stuff this season came out of already having known that. Mm. But I will tell you that my experience of it is that the writing gets infinitely better after I've been on set because I get to know the characters differently. And I understand not just how they behave, but like how they move through space and what the dynamic is. And my experience of seeing a scene while I'm there is so different than the way that I imagine it in my head. Mm. It's that thing of like you give birth to the baby and the baby has a personality of its own. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm more able to see it when I see it. I mean, I know that feels like an obvious statement, but it I, it, it changes things for me. Where I, like being in the energetics of the moment, you can – so it's more about the relationships. Like, oh, that. Like, of course. Mm. And also talking – because, you know, you and I had, a, I had a conversation with, I think, most of the people in the cast at the beginning of the season, like – what would you like to see happen? Like, what are you curious about in your character? Right. I can be the North Star of the show, but you guys are all the North Star of your own character. In the same sense, yes and, this is in my mind why it makes sense. Right. And so then when you, when, if one of us comes to you and says, what's, like, why am I finding myself in this position? Why am I finding myself making this choice? And if you were to inform it by saying, because like this is a thing that I think this and, and that, right. then- it becomes so much, even if we end up doing exactly what's on the page or you end up fully 360-ing it, it actually, like, is so informed by knowing, oh, this is where this came from. Like, right. oh, this is what we're going for. What's the, or where it's what's going. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. And, like, how to get there. And maybe you're kind of stepping on different, like, rocks and logs to get to the other side of the riverbank. You're getting to the same place, but it 
it really does kind of character build. Right, because it's because we know where we're going. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we do, we spend a lot of intensive time at the beginning of the season mapping out where we're going Mm. so that I can say, yeah, I know that this may seem like a weird thing now, but it's evolving into this. So let's look at that and see if there's another way to put, put that together. You know, I think your ability to be honest about your experience with disordered eating and body stuff was helpful in terms of being able to have a conversation because I only know my experience. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I know the experience of a lot of people that I've heard that sure. have surrounded me in my own journey around it, but I think it's really helpful to have that come from an authentic place. And those conversations were wildly helpful. Yeah. And you know, it's funny is that they didn't come from a place of me being like, I want to be really brave and use all of my damage no. to be, like it literally was me being protective. I was yeah. like, uh, this such is a place that hurts. Um, yeah. How are we going to do this? <laughs> yeah. And like, okay, well, this is what it looks like for me. Like this is, it is that, but it's not, you know, it might not be that food, but it's this, it's this pacing right. when it ramps up. It's right. this that grabs me. It's this justification. It's this making someone feel dumb for confronting me about something I'm doing to hurt myself. Like it's right. these, like, this is what it looks like in me and us finding that together and you always being such a place of like, I didn't feel scared. I did. If you never used anything that I shared with you, it still would feel like it informed, like you were listening. Totally. You know, I think that that's, I'm happy to hear you say that. It is important to me to make sure that everybody feels heard. I mean, I don't, listen, I'm, I'm somebody who's constantly on a journey of uh, self-discovery and evolution. So I, by far and away, am not perfect at all, but I'm like a work in progress. And so it's helpful to me to know that, you know, that has an impact and also that the you guys feel listened to. Something that I think you have done so well and I feel it in the DNA and actually in these conversations with people, it's come up in really different iterations, but it all seems to come from the same heartbeat, which is that like when you are on a set, when you're surrounded by a, a broad spectrum of frames of reference, you feel the magic. It's interesting because we have women in non-traditional female roles. We have grips that are women, people yep. setting up the lighting grid. That's the right. The props, like the props in Angie's house and the set deck in Angie's house were not made by someone who has a completely different frame of reference. Like they're funny and they're interesting and it's because we have a really broad range of things and like the wiener taco. Wiener taco came out of necessity. Do you know this story? No, tell me the story. Chili's didn't clear. <laughs> And so literally we were on set, like, what could, just say the diner. I'm like, the diner sucks. Like, don't say I'm working at the, and the pilot. Like, don't be like, I started working at the diner. Like, don't do that. That sucks. Right. I'm like, what's funny? And I literally thought wiener taco is funny. And I did a quick Google to see if there was anything called wiener taco and there wasn't. And so I'm like, just say it and then do one as diner in case we get screwed and clearances tells us that there's a wiener taco somewhere in Saskatchewan or something. Right. And there wasn't. And when Sarah did it, Dallas spit out his Kool-Aid because he didn't know she was going to say it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's obviously the line. Yeah, yeah, great. And then we never thought the Wiener Taco was going to be an actual place. Like, I thought it was a one-off joke. And then at a certain point, Sarah Colon and I had dinner. And she was like, I just want to know what the Wiener Taco uniform looks like. And I was like, oh, shit, it's a place. Oh, my God, it's a place. Yeah, yeah. And so we wrote the Wiener Taco as a place into the show because— of Sarah's deep desire to see what that uniform looked like. And then we got to, you know, Andy Fleming and I worked on sketches of Senior Weenie and he came up with a song. I mean, it was a whole thing. The song, the menu is iconic. It gave us so much joy. Andy, Andy Fleming and I had so much fun coming up with that menu that we were sitting in a 
hotel in Georgia shooting. It was episode three. We were sitting on a bed waiting for the set to get lit, coming up with the ideas for the wiener taco menu items, punching each other in the shoulder. We were laughing so hard. Like, we could not, like, it, it wasn't enough to laugh. We had to, like, punch each other in the shoulder. It was so funny. I truly, like, that dark sense of humor within me has grown and escalated. And, like, it's funny because I used to feel that when I would talk to someone about my self-loathing or my shame, that I had to be precious about it because it's a precious thing. And if I talk to them about dysmorphia and the way that I feel that I had to be really sensitive because if I laugh, it'll make someone feel like weird. And like, what are they supposed to do? But everyone knows if I say, I'm really struggling with this thing right now in a serious and somber tone to meet me in a serious and somber tone. But if I say, yeah, no, sorry. Like, I'm just not trying to revert to my high school eating disorder and be like curled up on the floor. Like, Is that still your experience? No. Okay. Now my experience is... If I talk about it with the normalization, because like the countless hours that I've spent getting stuck in the mirror and self-loathing and like doing all of that thing mm-hmm. is like, that is my frame of reference. And right. to water it down or to make it precious is not my relationship with it. My right. relationship with it is that like, it is like my bully and it tells me it's my best friend and it sits on my shoulder and it like pokes me, like it pushes me in my closet and like that thing is like I have a very volatile, tactile relationship with it. And with that, because it is so familiar to me and I spend so much time with it in my head, mm-hmm. like I'm going to speak about it with familiarity. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I found in my own journey with my eating disorder, the more I heard people talk about their struggle in a way that was like kind of disarming. Like it, it it's disarming when someone shares about it in such a nonchalant way or when someone says something and they're crying and then everyone in the room starts laughing because they relate, mm-hmm. it, it all of a sudden there's light. Like it, the cracks give room for the light. Your sensitivity around the scenes in which I binge eat, mm. does that come from being sensitive to my trigger points or does that come from your protectiveness of... Because I, I always thought about it truly until like this season. I always thought about it as you being protective of Patty. And from day one, from the pilot of the show, Mm -hmm. you knew what was going to be played as a joke and what was not going to be played as a Mm -hmm. joke. Yeah. And any of the things that were not meant to be funny, like it was, it was intentional and it was known. Right. And the things that were meant to be funny, we knew what we were. Right. And that also comes up in editing a lot because there are certainly versions of that cake eating scene and also of the donuts in episode three that are quicker cut. And for whatever reason, the quicker cut reads funny. Reads funnier. It also has to do with music. And so it's just a matter of finding the right thing. Because also sometimes after we did the cake in season one, which that's my favorite scene, and I like add that to the gratitude list, the fact that you were willing to do it. And it, and it, I had to, I mean, I, we really, there was a lot of discussion around how long was too long. And I was like, 10 seconds longer than you're comfortable is the right amount. Because I, I that's how it feels. It It's uncomfortable. I mean, Part of the intention of the show the first season was, and I couldn't talk about this because it would ruin the experience of watching it, but I will say it now. I wanted the experience of watching the show to feel like a binge, mm. like to have, like to take it in all at once and then feel kind of weird and gross that you just did that, mm-hmm. you know, and then be like, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't even know how to feel about that or what to think. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, now you know what it feels like to have an actual binge. Because we throw this word binge around, like, right? Like binge watching, we yeah. throw it around. What better opportunity to have the experience of having a binge than to like 
inhale this entire show and then sit with it and then be like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I like how episode five not, tasted. I, I don't know. What that, the, I feel yeah. a little weird that that, about yeah. that. Throuple, yeah, like, you know that what I mean? all really ha- hit me all at once, and I didn't yeah. even you didn't chew have it. the time yeah. to chew it, and then you have to sit and digest it, the, and that's the experience of a binge, or has been for me, right? So, so it's I by wanted design. it was by design. I wanted the audience to understand it. It was like it wasn't enough to just show it. Like I wanted them to feel it, and I really felt that there were things in place every step of the way. It wasn't like this is what it's going to be. Is that cool with you? It was like. Okay, so this is the cake. This is the and when I told you like the phrase sheet sheet face like came from my life and it came from this. Right. And a friend that I had who was an enabler and would bring a sheet cake over yeah. and like take two bites and just watch me, just sit and watch me. But just being like, okay, well, what, do you want a sugar-free cake? We can have like the food stylist make this. Do you want dairy-free? Do you right. want it to be this? And also just going into it and knowing like, okay, like I'm not going to relapse, like, this is where it becomes my superpower. And knowing that it was like, there weren't, this tone on set wasn't like, hey, hey, you guys, Debbie's going to eat a whole cake. Like, it was like, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't. Like, it it was very much like, like a car wreck. Like you said, we're shooting like a car wreck. We're shooting at once. We're covering it from all angles. We're locking down the set. And truly, the only other time that we had that level of protection around something was when I, when Patty loses her virginity to Christian. Right. So it is like shooting it right. To me, it's this, it's the same level of intimacy. And also, it was important for me to see that, for, for people watching the show to see, there was no movie magic in that moment. Like, because, yeah, you know, when you shoot an eating scene, you can have a spit cup, you can do that. Like, there's a million ways to get around an actor having to actually ingest half of a sheet cake, right? But I wanted girls to see that someone who looks like you can eat a half a sheet cake and be okay. And, like, move forward with their life. Yeah. And not that that's a good— be- but that, like, it doesn't mean that everything— is- that all is lost. It doesn't right. mean—like, it, it, it's a thing that happens. Yeah. That can be just a thing that happens. Yeah. It was very important to me to show that there is hope available for one's ism, mm-hmm. right? It felt very important to me to take Patty on this journey— show that there is hope, and then have Patty actively choose not to do the thing, the one thing that would be required for her to get recovery. Which is honesty. Right. Because there's a million, you know, we said it in the show, there's a lot of different ways to recover. They all require getting honest. You know, whether it be in an inventory or therapy or talking about your stuff, Mm -hmm. like you have to really be willing to take a look at yourself. And, you know, as someone who has had to go through a certain amount of healing around my own eating disorder and body obsession, all that stuff. That was what was required for me. And so I I felt it would be irresponsible to not show that as an option to, you know, viewers who are identifying, you know, because the thing that I said from the beginning was I was hoping that if I showed the shadow parts of myself that somebody would feel less alone, one mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. If, if one person did, I would have done my job. And, and we received countless thousands of people responding in a way that it wasn't just, wow, this was a wild ride. But no, it was like, like you. somebody said I was going to do what, ba- what Bob was going to do, and you were Patty for me. Like, so, I mean, it was like, oh, my God. How do you, I, I don't even know how to process that other than just be grateful, right? Right. But it felt to me that if there are going to be people identifying with Patty's journey, I did want to offer a solution. However, watching Patty solve her problem to me is less fun. Like, it's funnier to me to watch somebody continue to make bad decisions. They're just... It's well, just, it's also the show ends once she... If she recovers, she's done. I mean, like, if, if she recovers in a healthy way. 
Yeah. She can pick another thing, which sure. is kind of what ends up happening. Right. But I wanted to show it as an option so that people would know, oh, there's something I can do. And also it's a cautionary, t- it's not It's not a morality tale, it's a cautionary tale, right? So if it were morality tales, she would get her comeuppance and she'd be punished and she would be the one behind bars, but it's not. It's a cautionary tale of now you're pretty and you have a crown, but you are a monster, right? And And for us, we have always looked at this as a Frankenstein story, always. From the very beginning, we pitched it that way. And that Bob understands now that he has encouraged this thing and now he has to take care of it, right? And so just as to a certain degree of responsibility, it was important to show that Patty does know better and consciously makes the choice not to do it so that it's not like, oh, wait, no, she she gets she gets recovery and still makes a bad choice would have been a really dangerous message to be sending. Yeah. That doesn't work <laughs> because obviously she's still making terrible decisions. So what is the point of all of that emotional excavation? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Instead... Right? She has the option available, chooses against it, and then she gets to be uh, sociopathic. When she realizes what Bob allows her to see in herself. Right. At the very end, which is just the greatest moment since I'm a good person. Like, to me, of (laughs) course, like that, it was just flooring. But when she realizes that, would you consider that the first time that she's really been honest with herself? hmm Yeah, I mean, to me, a little bit. Like, she's honest with the things that she's done, right? But that thing about, you know, with Patty in the jail. Yeah. Where she says to herself, you know, you're still not being honest. She says, I know all the things I've done. And so she does know all the things she's done. She just hasn't said it out loud to another, to one person. Like, different people know different things about her. And frankly, that was my own experience, which is that, like, I could compartmentalize, but, like, not one person knew the whole truth. And that is an element that is healing. Yeah. But there are always things about oneself that one can keep hidden even from one's own consciousness, right? Right. So it is the moment that she actually is fully, fully honest. And I feel a little bit like the the grand irony of that is, like, she doesn't really have to eat or overexercise anymore after that. Like, that's, like, a little spoiler. Right. For, you know, God willing, a season three. Right. That becomes, like, a different version of the issue because now she's going to feel like, oh, wait, I did the thing that I was told to do that I needed to do to recover. And it actually is healing, but it enables this other thing. It's just the flame jumps burners. It doesn't mean she's recovered. It jumps burners, right. The danger is... We're constantly surrounded by this messaging and this programming of, like, the thing that will make us feel better and, like, the bigger house and the thing in which, like, when you have this many followers or when you get this job or when you get to this place in a relationship, like, if you just get a girlfriend or boyfriend, oh, if you just get a fiance, but then once you get married, but you don't have a kid, like, it just is constantly moving in every area. And so, which is, like— the whole base conversation about insatiable is that when you look at every single one of these characters... They all have a degree of insatiability. To a certain extent, I think this is the grand irony and this is one of the things we're trying to accomplish with this particular narrative is that I think the more health at any size content that's out in the world, the better to change the cultural conversation. But I think the other side of that that's important to talk about, equally important to talk about, is the idea that you can be sick at any size too. Mm. Right. And so for me, this is a sick at any size show. 
the two, you know, at least for in Patty's story, is that her thinking and her emotional damage is completely, I want to, uh, maybe it's not even completely unrelated to her body size. It might get worse, mm. like the smaller she gets, because there's less protection for her to have to deal with that, you know? Sure. It happened to me. Like you see people walking around in the world and they are smaller and you think, and they get more opportunities and you think they must be happier. And uh, it was important to me to show the betrayal of that cultural narrative around when you are thin, then your life will be better. Yeah. And by the way, your life might be better, but your insides can still be gross. Yes, which will <laughs> then quickly, in my experience, sabotage your life. Like, yeah, yeah, to of me, course. when my life gets better and things happen and I still deal with a lot of shame and I'm really governed by that, that's when I start to ignite little fires. Yeah. And I say, oh, no, no, no. Am I allowed to have happy and content? Right, but it's like, not conscious, right? It's no, like, of course yeah. not. Yeah. And it's the, that way with my family. It's that way with my career. It's like, yeah, things are going really well, I guess. Just maybe burn this to the ground. Like. I will say, though, to me, it's, I find for myself, it's less self-sabotage. I, I have recently had a somatic therapist explain this to me, um, that it's primal, that we are, our my, our critical mind that's constantly looking for what's wrong yeah. is actually primal. Because if, like, you're a cave person and you're sitting by the water thinking, like, look at this beautiful lake. It's so beautiful. Harm, the saber-tooth tiger yeah. hits yeah. you, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and so for me, it was really helpful to hear, like, don't pathologize your heat-seeking missile of, for negativity. Mm. Like, don't pathologize that. That as, is actually your survival mode. Mm. And then you have to train yourself as a skill set to find the joy and the gratitude as you started this thing with, right? Mm. Like, that that's a skill set. But that our primal instinct is to find what's wrong. Yeah. Um, Ashley Kelly, who plays D, mm -hmm. sh between her... Tommy Dorfman, who plays Jonathan, Kimmy Shields, Nani, and Dallas Roberts, who play Bob Armstrong, uh, and Sarah Colonna, who plays Angie. All of these people talk to Patty about her disordered eating and about, like, her unsettled issues in different ways. What's your advice as someone who is dealing with this or their friend is dealing with it? How to be a good friend to someone through this? How to navigate this with someone in a way that you think wouldn't set them off or wouldn't touch on it in a way that's not productive? Like, how... Who do you think handled it the best? Who do you think is less of a cautionary tale and more of someone wow, we could look up really to? Good. The thing that helped me was hearing about people who had experienced the same stuff that I experienced. So the person who helped me get into recovery was somebody who said, my roommate suffered from this and here's what helped her. She didn't say, you have a thing. She just said, I saw this before. Because I, I really bottomed out hard and... Uh, I had somebody say that she had seen somebody get help that was helpful as opposed to like, well, you, this is a problem that you need to deal with. Mm. You know, I think coming from a place of love and understanding and experience and saying like, here's what I've seen is more helpful. Unfortunately, when when somebody says you should bend in that, like I'm, that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah. Unless they are like, I did blah, blah, blah. It worked for me. And then yeah. they let it hang out there. Yeah. You know, so for me, like coming from the source is always better. Yeah, there's, I have a little bit of punk rock in me. And if someone points on something, even yeah. if it's immediately after, like as as a teen, I would be like, all right, I'm probably going to go in and clean my room. And my mom would be like, oh yeah, you should clean your room. It's getting like pretty messy. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'll do it later. Like I was, it's like all of a sudden, yeah. even mm -hmm. if I was going to touch on a thing, which I have yeah. not acknowledged to need right. touching, then the second that I'm told to do it or someone points a finger at me, I, I like, 
lean against, which of course on subjects that are more touchy and more intimate yeah, sure. and more deal with that only experiences more. So I understand why Patty lashes, lashes sure. out on the people sure. around her. Um, we should share some Easter eggs. Oh, um, there's a rainbow in every episode. And for me, while I know that the rainbow is symbolic of pride and that is also a part of my life and a part of the show and I, I feel spiritually that rainbow energy is transcendent above any one particular cause and that the energy of the rainbow is unity, faith, hope, and love. And so anytime we can infuse anything with rainbow energy, it immediately goes to the side of the light. So for me to put a rainbow in every episode of the show feels like an opportunity for magic and miracles to be present in terms of our our process as a group, but also the way that we can impact other people. Even if it's like totally on the DL and nobody knows it, that it's in there, it's infused with that energy. Um, so when we send it out into the world, we can feel good about it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You can see it on shirts. You can see it on the stage. You can see it on people's rings and Yeah. Outfits. And it's also sometimes subtle, like in um, in season one, the example that comes to mind is uh, the Miss Magic Jesus pageant. All the sashes are different colors. Mm -hmm. Like that was in the rainbow in that episode. Mm -hmm. So it's not always like an obvious rainbow. Is there anything from Dexter that you love to see? Oh that my you, God. The Dexter in you, is she here? Is it like the me who loves Dexter watched it start to happen in Patty? Yeah. Do you I mean, say yeah. a sentence about it? Here's what I'll say. There was a thing for me in Dexter, where I was like, I had, I started to fantasize about like, what if his code was not so clean? Like, who is it? Like, is it just people who killed people who he would think deserve it or not? And like, I love that Dexter was that clean, but like, what's the messier Netflix version of that where we're like, we're kind of rooting for the wish fulfillment of that, but also I'm not sure that that person, like, you know, so far Patty's only killed killers but I feel like that doesn't need to stay in that place because it's fun to be like wait you think that person you're fucking crazy like that's fun that's Gordon fun. molested her mom and she she right. backed him off a cliff right he didn't kill anybody so I love the idea that that we get to explore that flexible morality thing you know because Dexter was really black and white mm -hmm. and also like a female version of that and an 18-year-old version of that is fun to me. Yeah. When your brain isn't fully formed yet. Yes, right. You know? And you also have different priorities. Like, yeah. you're more offended by different things. And I want to see her figure out the ways to do it. She was good at covering it retroactively. Mm -hmm. So if she had any preparation, I imagine that she could probably thrive in that. But yeah. So in light of everything that we've spoken about, let's end on what we're grateful for. I'm grateful for this time spent with you. I am grateful that the show is dropping. Has dropped at this point. Yeah, I'm great. I'm grateful for such like a, that you're so thoughtful and um, smart and available to have a conversation, for, really, because that could always not be the case, right? It um, certainly has been in the past. I'm grateful I have a date with my husband tonight, and I'm going to see a high school friend who I haven't seen in 10 years. Nice. How about that? Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for loyalty. I'm grateful for history. I'm grateful for you for giving me a job. I'm grateful for you when I walked in the room asking for the job and saying, but I'm not going to do it if you guys are making fun of this thing while I'm there in no position to negotiate, <laughs> fully asking for the job, but also just being like, yeah, but. I know, but you had, your, like, you had your walls up about it, understandably. I totally saw it. I was, and, and the fact that you did that was all the more reason to be like, yeah, obviously, that's your job. I mean, crying with your future boss in an audition is 
very rare and I think a very magic start to a very magic thing. Totally. Also the voice. Like, to be honest, like you walked in and started talking. I was like, that's the voiceover. I heard it. It was the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Two things that we say in the show are that there are a lot of ways to be messed up and that there are a lot of ways to find recovery. If you feel powerless over something that's taking over your life, there is help out there. If you look, you will find it. And if you stay long enough, you will eventually hear your story. And that's where the magic is. That's where you can see what hope can do. Freedom is available. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are allowed to have it. You're not alone, and you deserve to be okay. Okay. 